Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys here uh, this morning. Today, we're in part 12 of our series, Investigating the Real Jesus. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been exploring this ancient document written by a Greek doctor named Luke, uh, who lived during the time of Jesus, but did not know Jesus personally. And so Luke, uh, like many people during that time, had heard the rumors and heard the stories about this Jesus guy and all the things that this Jesus guy was doing. And so he took months and months and months, if not years of his life, to investigate and to track down the eyewitnesses and to sit down with them and to have the conversations and to ask the tough questions. And once he was done compiling all the information that he could find, and all the information that he gathered from the eyewitnesses who actually got to experience Jesus, he compiles it all down together into one document. And that, by the way, is the book of Luke that each and every one of us have in our Bibles uh, here today. And so when Luke is writing this, and really what I want us to think about is when we are reading out of the book of Luke, this is a guy who's just saying, hey, I'm documenting the events that happened during my lifetime. And he's saying, I'm not the only one to have done it. If you remember, weeks and weeks and weeks ago when we first began this series, the first verse of the first chapter, um, the first word, really, of Luke, this is what he says. He says, many have done this. He says, there's been many, many, many people. Many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, about the events that Jesus has done. He's talking about Jesus here, about what Jesus has done all around us. And uh, he says, just as the original eyewitnesses and the servants of the word handed them down to us, just like we had heard, it also seemed good to me. He's like, I don't know, it's just one of those things. He's, he might be one of those guys who he just, he kind of has to hear it or see it with his own eyes. He says, it seemed really good to me. It seemed like a good idea um, since I had carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence, right? So when you're reading the book of Luke, what I want us to think about is here's Luke. He's saying, hey, this is what happened. I wasn't there for all of it. I didn't get to experience all of it, but I did talk to the people that did experience Jesus, and I did talk to the people who were there, and here's Luke, he's saying, I know it might sound hard to believe, and I know it might sound crazy, and I know it might even sound impossible, and I might not even be able to explain it all, but it happened, and I'm writing this down so that you will know what happened, and so at this point in our story, part 12, uh, Jesus uh, he it has quite the following, right? I mean, at this point, he's about 31 years old. He's doing his thing. He's been traveling from town to town to town for over a year now. And uh, everybody wants to see what Jesus is going to do next because Jesus is doing things that nobody has ever seen before. And everybody wants to, wants to hear what Jesus is going to say next because Jesus is saying things that they've never heard of anybody saying before. And remember, at this point in history, the Jewish people have been waiting for this guy that God had promised them called the Messiah. Now, Messiah is, sounds super churchy. I get that. It's actually a Jewish word. Um, it, Messiah is just an old word for the word Savior. And so the entire Old Testament points to, the entire Old Testament points to this guy who someday, all right, God says he's going to send the Messiah. He's going to send a Savior who's going to save the Jewish people and actually is going to save the world from our sin problem. And nobody quite understood exactly what that looked like or how that was going to go down, but they knew that this man was coming and this man would be sent from God. And so here's Jesus he steps on the scene and he begins telling people that he's that guy. And a handful of people, or some people, begin to believe it. And he's teaching 
and his healing. At one point, I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago, he brings a dead guy back to life. That's impressive, okay? Who doesn't want to see that? All right, I'll take that any day. And, uh, and so Jesus is doing these things, and crowds and crowds and crowds of people, they gather around him. Everybody wants to hear the things that he's doing and to see the things that he's doing and to hear the things that he's saying. And so crowds follow him everywhere. In fact, if you remember, uh, in Mark's account of Jesus' life, Mark tells us that so many people, the, the crowds are so big, so many crowds gathered around him he says that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. All right, Jesus couldn't just walk into town anywhere. It was anytime. It was impossible for him to do that because so many people knew what he looked like and so many people knew who he was that everybody just gathered around. There's always crowds around him. And so he decided he was out in the deserted places, meaning out like in the country. That's how we would say it. And they came to him from everywhere. And so one day, Luke tells us that Jesus, he's doing his thing. Uh, there's crowds of people that are following him. And uh, he's actually near the Sea of Galilee. If you don't know what that is, the Sea of Galilee is a huge lake in northern Israel. It's a freshwater lake. And that's where Jesus kind of traveled around that area uh, a lot when he was doing his, doing his thing. And on this particular day, there was a huge crowd that they were all listening to all the things that Jesus had been saying. And he had been teaching all day. And so at the end of the day, Jesus, he's tired, all right? I feel like I can relate to this, all right, here on Sundays after three services, and then sometimes we have a meeting after third service like I do today, and uh, I get like, like I go home after church, I'm just like, don't talk to me, I just want to, not, I don't want to talk to anybody, that's like what it is. I don't care, if, I guess I don't care if like people talk to me, but I'm like tired of talking, you get what I'm saying? You ever feel that way? We're just like, I've been talking all day. Yeah, maybe Blaine, yeah, he's singing and stuff, right? And, uh, and so it's just like, like, I'm just so sick of talking. That's how Jesus felt. And he's tired of teaching, and he's tired of talking. And so Luke tells us that he and his disciples got into a boat, and he tells them, he says, okay, got this idea. All right, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, when they hear this, um, you got to remember, again, Jesus is tired. It's getting dark out. It's at the end of the day. There's people everywhere. Jesus feels like he has to get away, okay, which isn't a bad feeling sometimes. And so the disciples, when they hear that Jesus wants to go to the other side of the lake, I'm sure they, like, protested. I'm sure they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus. And I'm sure, like, Peter, because he's kind of loud mouth. He didn't think about all the things that he said before he says them. A lot of times, like some of us in here, you know, I'm sure Peter was just like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you don't want to do that. All right, let me just tell you. Um, I don't get, why do you want to leave? Like, look what's going on here. Like, we got some good stuff going here. All right, we got crowds of people. People are believe. Like, you know, you're doing all this stuff. You're healing these people. Like, this is a really good thing that we got going here. I don't understand why we'd want to leave. And then on top of that, I bet Peter's pointing out, like, dude, uh, just so you know, Jesus, because, you know, this is like my home, and maybe you don't understand exactly how things work around here. But um, on the other side of the lake are people that don't like people like you. Mm -mm. All right, there's non-Jewish people over there. And you remember at this point, um, non-Jewish people and Jewish people, they did not get along. And so, and so he, Peter, I'm sure, is pointing out like, hey, man, those are, they called them Gentiles. Those are Gentile, this Gentile territory. You don't want to go over there. Those people are not going to be friendly to you. They don't want any part of you. And it's just going to cause an issue. In fact, it might even be dangerous for us to go. And I'm sure Jesus hears this and Jesus is like, nah, I think we go. And they're like, what? Did you hear anything that I, okay, let's just go. And so they set out, Luke tells us. And as they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. Now, ladies, let me just say this, okay? Let me just throw this out there. This afternoon, you know, when you guys go back home and your husband 
starts watching TV on the couch and he props his feet up and then he falls off, drifts off to sleep, all right? I'm just saying, he's just trying to do what Jesus did, okay? So like, give him a break, all right? Let him get his sleep, all right? That's, he's just trying to be like Jesus. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that, okay? And so uh, that's what Jesus is doing. What's crazy about this, for real though, is that Jesus is 100% God. We get that? Like, we understand that? Like, think of it this way. All right, Jesus, all right, is God of the universe, right? That same God who, like, spoke things into existence. Like, that's how much power he has where he's just like, uh, I'm thinking an earth, <laughs> earth, okay? Like, that type of thing, all right? That's, that's pretty powerful, uh, infinitely powerful. Like, infinitely powerful, holy God wrapped in a human body, Jesus, all right? That's what Jesus is. He's 100% God. But also, the Bible tells us he was also 100% man. Now, I can't fully understand this. How can I be, how can he be 200, 100% of this, 100% of this? I don't know, but that makes sense. If there is a God, that there would be things about God that we couldn't understand. Like, that would make sense with the definition of God. And so, here he is. He's also 100% man, and we actually get to see Jesus' humanity here. He's dead tired. And he doesn't wait to like, okay, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, which is like, you know, a few hour trip across the lake on this small little fishing boat with one sail. You know, he's just like, I'm not waiting until we get to like our hotel room on the other side. It's going to be sweet, but I'm just, I'm going to start, you know, drifting off now. And so he falls asleep on the boat, right? He lays down, he falls asleep. And then we find out that as he's sleeping, a fierce windstorm, all right, came down on the lake. Now, this is kind of something you got to understand is like the topography of this region. Um, you, storms were super normal, okay? They, they popped up quickly. They happened all the time. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is actually located 750 feet, or yeah, 700 feet below sea level, okay? It's actually the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. And, uh, and so you got that. And then just roughly 30 miles away, not, not too far away, you got Mount Hermon, which is over 9,000 feet uh, tall or high above sea level. And so uh, there's about 10,000 foot difference there. And uh, on top of that, you got all these hills and all these mountains around the Sea of Galilee. And so what you have is you got the cold air from the mountains coming down. And then you got the warm air from the basin of the lake that moves up. And that would create instant, large, um, big, you know, storms. It created a bunch of powerful storms. And so that is kind of what's going on here. They're out in the middle of the lake. They're super far away from, from land. And all of a sudden, this storm just rises up. But it's totally okay, right? Because half the disciples are like professional fishermen. Like, this is what they do. You know, boats are like kind of their thing. And so you would think that everything would be good, be, be good, and probably it was at first, but things are getting worse and worse and worse, and the storm is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, the boat, Luke tells us, is filling up with water so much that they were being swamped, right? The, the boat's filling up with water, and that puts them in, like, major danger. And so you got this huge storm, all right? They're in a boat, probably not the safest place to be in a storm, and the waves are coming up over the sides of the boat, and as more and more water comes into the boat, the boat sinks lower and lower and lower. Now, I have a little experience with a little bit of this. Um, as I, I've told you guys this before, um, this story before, but I, uh, I, have a, I have a boat. It was my grandpa's old boat. I fixed it up. It was like a shell of a boat when I got it, and uh, I asked Kate to marry me on that boat, and we was like, dude, we're going to be boat people. This is going to be sweet, and then we really never used it again. It sits at my dad's house. Like, that's just where it lives now, okay? And, uh, and so that's, that's, my, that's, my, 
That's my boat thing. And, um, and so I think the last time I used this, I've only used the boat like a few times. The last time I used it, I was with a bunch of buddies, and this is years and years and years ago, and uh, we actually, one of my friends worked at Putin bay and so I was like, dude, I'll, I'll take you to work. I'll drive you to work on the boat. It'll be fun. And, and so we all get in the boat. It's in the middle of the summer. It's a nice summer day. We go over. We drop them, drop them off at Putin bay and then we're starting to head back, and uh, we're coming back to like East Harbor type place. You guys know where that is. And um, we notice that there's like another boat that's kind of like we're kind of both going down the same way. And uh, these people, they like start yelling something at us. And we're like, dude, what's their problem? You know, we're like, hey, you know, okay, these people are crazy. And, uh, and then they start, and then they get a little closer and they start yelling at us again. And we're just like, dude, I don't know what their deal is. You can't hear them. All right, we got the wind in our hair. We got the boat motor behind us. I mean, we're just like, I don't know what their deal is, but let's, you know, keep going. You kind of give them the courtesy wave, like, okay, thinking they had a little too much at Putin Bay, like that type of thing. And then as they get closer, we find out, we hear what they're saying, exactly saying, because they, they won't shut up, shut up about it. And we finally find out, and they're saying, you're sinking. <laughs> and I looked around, and sure enough, I'm like, our boat is full of water. We just, I guess we just never looked back. And I'm like, oh, crap, we are sinking. And so I'm like, you take the wheel. Uh, I go back there. I'm like, why are my bilge pumps working? Flip this switch. Get this going. And I'm trying to pump the water up. And I'm just like, dude, we're just gonna have to. We're just gonna have to make it there. And uh, when I got, when we got back to the dock, I found out that uh, I forgot to put the, I forgot to put the drain plug in. You know, when we first got in. So the whole time it was just filling with water. We didn't, we didn't know. Um, so I learned that it's important to keep the water out of the boat. Like that's kind of a main thing when you're doing boat stuff. See, this boat, and the disciples know that. This boat, you got Jesus and these disciples, right? You got some of these guys, they're professional boaters. And the water is filling up fast. And these guys, they know. They start to kind of panic. They're like, we are in real trouble here. We are in real danger. And what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. He ain't worried about it. Mark gives us a little more detail about the conversation that Jesus and the disciples are about to have here. So let's switch over to Mark real quick. It says he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern. So that's the back of the boat. He's just sleeping, doing his thing. And he was sleeping on a cushion. So he's got a little pillow. Now, if he's sleeping on a, like on a pillow, you know that this is not like he just fell asleep on the, on the ride and just kind of drifted off. No, he's like intentionally sleeping here. It's kind of like if you came in here for service today and you had one of those like neck pillows like around your necks, I would like, no, like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, like you are planning on sleeping here and I wouldn't even fault you for it. I'd be like, I, I understand, okay? I can't listen to myself either. And, uh, and so it'd be like that. It'd be intentionally sleeping. That's what Jesus is doing. He knows what's going on and he chooses to sleep. Like Jesus knows the storm is coming and it's a big enough storm that it could kill them and Jesus knows this and he's like, ah, oh, I'm just too exhausted. I'm taking a nap. And he goes, actually, when I was first reading this, um, I was thinking about maybe, I don't know, maybe he's not like sleeping, sleeping, you know? Like maybe he's doing that thing that we as parents have all done, you know, where your kid, you're like in your bed, and you're not ready to get up yet, and your kid's like barging into the room, and you're just like pretending like I'm asleep. They won't, maybe they'll go away, you know? Like you ever done that? Okay. Sometimes I'll be honest. Sometimes Kate comes in. I know she's got some stuff she wants me to do. And I'm like, I just got to wait her out, man. I'm sleeping, you know, and, uh, and make her, hopefully she feels bad for me, and then she just walks out. But that's, it, that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> and so part of me is just like, she's not here this weekend, so I can say stuff like that. Um, she'll find out by next week, though. I know she will, because of you guys. Anyway, 
But it's one of those things where I'm like, maybe he's just like sleeping. And he's got one eye open. He's just like, this is funny. You know, like these people, like how are they going to respond? Like are they going to do this the right way? They got faith. What's going on? Like Jesus thing. But he's actually not doing that, okay? Because both Mark and Luke say, no, 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 no. He was actually asleep. And so they woke him up. And they said to him, like, it's time. Like, it's so bad. They're like, just wake up, Jesus. Like, you can see what he thinks. And they say, teacher, this is what they ask him. Don't you care? Don't you care that we are going to die? This is maybe the dumbest question they've ever asked him. Right? But we feel this sometimes. Like if you're human, you have felt the way that they feel. Have you ever prayed prayers like that? We're just like, do you care? Like I got this thing in my life. This is not going good. Like do you care? You got some storm that enters your life. You just, you just get to like the end of your rope. You've just had it. And that's what you ask God. Like that's one of our natural cry, like, ways that we cry out to God. We're like, God, do you Care. And by the way, can I just point out one thing with this? All right? Notice what they are certain about in this statement. All right? They are certain that they are going to die. They're uncertain about if he cares. It's funny because a lot of us, especially in here, like church people, you know, we're like, yeah, 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 I trust God. I'm all about God. God's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with God. Like, I, I trust him with my whole life. Like, that's the type of, that might be you. But the minute our situation gets out of our control, because that's really what it is, it's a control thing. We don't feel safe when we're not in control. The minute our situation gets out of control, fear takes over. And we become certain of the fear. And Jesus caring about me, eh, that's up for debate. See, we've been there before. And the disciples are feeling that at this moment. They're asking them, do you care? And so Jesus gets up, right? And he's probably rubbing his eyes. He's like, what is going on here? There's a lot of rain coming in. He's just like, he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the raging waves. And when he does this, the, the, uh, the original Greek word that Luke uses here, basically what Jesus does is he gets up and he, he says, be quiet, stay quiet. Total mom move, right? He says, be quiet and stay quiet. And it's really a weird thing to say to weather, okay? Usually that wouldn't work, but... He does it, and they ceased. And I bet when Luke is writing this, this is just something, I, I don't know this for sure. I bet as Luke's writing this, you know, remember, he does a bunch of research. He sits down with the eyewitnesses. He's trying to figure out exactly what, what happened. And he probably sits down with one of the disciples, because those are the only people that are eyewitnesses to this part. And I bet he asked him, like, hey, uh, tell me about that, that storm story, you know, when you guys were in the boat that one night. It was crazy. All right, tell me about that. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was nuts. Like, it was, we were going to die. The boat was filling up with water. Like, this was not good. Jesus was just, like, sleeping over there. Like, I don't know what his problem was. And then we, like, wake him up. And he's like, why are you waking me up? And he says, everybody stop. Like, be quiet and stay quiet. And then it was just done. And I bet Luke pushed into that a little bit. Like, okay, well, what do you mean? Like, it just ceased. Like, uh, like the storm started going down, you know, just kind of, you know, trickling down. And he's like, they're like, no, 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 no. It, like, immediately was done. Like, there was no storm. It was crazy. I'd never seen anything like that in my entire life. And I bet Luke was like, okay, well, you're probably just exaggerating this. Uh, is there anybody else who can, like, verify that that's true? And he's like, oh, yeah, Andrew was there too. Why don't you go ask Andrew? Then Luke goes and tracks Andrew down. He's like, tell me about that night. And then Andrew's like, no, no, it was crazy. Huge storm. We are going to die. It was nuts. And then Jesus, like, like, said, just stop it. And then it all just stopped. 
so Luke's like, okay, that's crazy. And he writes it down. He says, the whole storm and the waves. Even if you could just stop the storm instantly, the waves wouldn't just stop. That would take time. He says, they all ceased and there was a calm, meaning the entire lake is just glass. And he looks over at the disciples and says, where's your faith? He's saying, don't you trust me? You don't trust me yet? Are you serious right now? Like, like, you're not sure if I care about you? Did I hear that right or was I sleeping? Just want to make sure. You don't know if I care about you? <laughs> you think the storm is a problem for me? You're probably like, I'm going back to sleep, you know? Notice the disciples' response real quick. Are they comforted by this? Like, okay, oh, no, nah, we're just kidding, Jesus. Like, we weren't actually scared. We're just, we're just kind of joking around, but it was kind of scary. But, you know, but, but we're all good now. Or were they like, were they like sigh of relief? Like, whew, okay, I'm not going to die. That's good. They high-fiving each other. They're like, dude, Jesus took the wheel. Like, that was crazy. And I love when Jesus does that kind of thing. Like, what were, they, what were they doing here? Well, no, that wasn't their response. Their response is fear. They were fearful and amazed at the same time. They're like, I don't, they can't like compute with this. And they start asking one another. They say, who is this guy? Who is this guy? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him? Like the weather obeys this dude. See, their fear doesn't go away. Did you notice that? Their fear shifts. It shifts from the storm to the guy in the back of the boat. See, the one thing scarier than the storm that can kill you is being stuck in a small boat with a person who can control the storm that can kill you. See, they are even more afraid of Jesus than they were about the storm that was going to kill them. And what's crazy about it is Jesus doesn't correct this type of fear. He corrects their fear of the storm. He's like, man, you got no faith. Come on, man. All right? But here, right, he doesn't correct this type of fear. And here's the disciples. If you just think about this, the disciples who had seen Jesus do a lot of stuff. This, out of all the things that he's done at this point, freaks him out the most. Huge storm, instantly silent, instantly glass. They're just looking at each other and see the rescue freaked him out more than the storm that was about to kill them. You see, the one type of fear that we as Christians are to have is we are to fear God. Now, for a lot of us, if you're like me, that's not something we normally think about. Like normally we're just, we don't think like, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm afraid of him. And we don't, th like those two things just don't really go together very well in our, in our minds. Um, it's like when we think of like the fear of God, you know, we think of like some old school church or we assume that like a God who should be feared is a God who is guilty of something or has some sort of fault, or, or maybe it's this. We fear, when we think of the fear of God, we're like, oh, that's, leftover, that's like a leftover relic from some oppressive or archaic view of religion that's just like way out of date, all right? Not cool then, not cool now, uh, like this, this is not for today. See, when we think of Jesus, there's probably not one of us in here that when we automatically think of Jesus, we think, oh, I'm afraid of him. We just don't do that. I mean, how do we view Jesus, right? We view Jesus as like meek, Hugging children, petting lambs, staring off in the sunset with his hair billowing in the wind, you know, like that type of thing. That's how we view Jesus. He's tender hearted. We view him as soft. But the thing is, Jesus was not soft. Yeah, he was kind and he was loving and he was tender hearted, but his, he also had power and he also had strength and he also had justice. And that should give us a sense of fear 
towards him. In fact, what I would argue is that we can't have a strong relationship with him unless we have a certain amount of fear of him. You just can't. But we don't like to think about being afraid of God. See, most of us, this is what we do. We follow our culture. And this is what our culture tells us. Our culture says, fear your circumstances. You don't have to fear God. And by the way, we do that, and what's that create in our life? Worry, anxiety, panic, stress, depression. Right? That's what it does. When we fear our circumstances and we don't fear God, that's what it looks like in our life. That's what it produces in our life. But here's Jesus. He steps on the scene. He's like, no, don't fear your circumstances. You should fear me. The disciples are instantly hit with that fear. And so they finally get to the other side of this big lake. And it's been a night, right? I mean, it's been, they're just like, dude, that was crazy. They're probably not doing much talking at this point because they kind of got yelled at a little bit by Jesus. And they're in awe. And they're kind of afraid of him. And they don't really know what to think. And as they're walking up from the shore, uh, Luke tells us that a demon-possessed man from the town nearby met them. Okay, so this is a very exciting night that's going on. And, uh, and this guy we're going to find out is actually naked too. So throw that in there. So this naked demon-possessed guy gets up. So I want you to picture this real quick. Don't picture it too much, but you get what I'm saying. Okay, so you got, this, you got the disciples. They're getting off the boat. And uh, it's been a, kind of a crazy night. And the disciples are probably thinking, I mean, what they were thinking was the boat ride was the story. You know, like, okay, that was a crazy story. Can't wait to tell my kids. Can't wait to tell my grandkids. That is a great story. That's what they're thinking. The boat ride was the story. And so they get off the boat. They're probably starting to talk about it. Like, it's getting a little easier. Like, maybe, you know, maybe they're like, okay, I don't think we're in too much trouble with Jesus. And they, maybe they start laughing about it. They're like, you know, elbowing each other. Like, dude, you thought you were going to die. <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, you thought you were going to die. He's like, no, no, you, you were screaming, Peter. I heard you. And he's like, well, you were crying. At least I wasn't crying like you. Like, that type of thing. And they're kind of elbowing each other, giving each other high fives, stuff like that. And then a crazy naked guy comes running up like a linebacker and is just like, ah, and they're like, ah, you know, like they are going crazy. And they're just like, what is happening here? I don't understand. And you would think like, like, you know, they're probably freaked out. Here's this guy. They're like, Jesus, you know, save us again. And you would think maybe there'd be some like epic battle going on, like, like, oh man, okay, this guy's got a bunch of demons in him, we're going to find out, and that's crazy, but we got Jesus, and so that's awesome, let's get the lightsabers, let's like battle, you know, like epic, is going to be sweet, like let's go. But that's not what happens. Luke tells us that this guy runs up, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before Jesus. He just like gets on his knees before Jesus, and he yells out in a loud voice, he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then the demon, and we're going to find out that it's actually demons, are going to beg, they, they, they say, I beg you, Jesus, don't torment me or don't torment us. There's no fight here. The demons fall on their face. And by the way, just in case we're not all um, on the same page, demons are, they're, they're just fallen angels. Okay, so angels, demons, same thing, okay? It's just ain't, demons have rebelled against God, unfortunately, for them. And so it's interesting here. You got the disciples, right, who are a little fuzzy on who Jesus is, not the demons. Now they know who Jesus is. I mean, they are crystal clear on who Jesus is. And so Luke tells us 
It says, uh, he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, and many times, this is what was kind of going on. He gives us the backstory, right? This is the stuff that Luke investigated and found out. He says many times he found out that, that the demons had, like, seized him and taken control of him, and though he was guarded and bound by chains and shackles, meaning the townspeople tried to, like, lock him up so he couldn't hurt anybody else and so that he couldn't hurt himself but the, this guy was super strong and he would snap because he had demons in him. He would snap the restraints and the chains and be driven by the demon into deserted places. Right, we're going to find out he's out at, actually at a cemetery. And so Jesus, he's got this demon guy, like possessed guy in front of him that's begging, is basically begging Jesus not to fight them, okay? And Jesus has a conversation with him. And this is the only conversation that we see that Jesus ever has with um, with a demon like this, and Jesus says, what, what's your name? And they say, legion, because many demons had entered him. Now, the word legion, you got to understand, remember, Rome owns the world at this point in time, especially this area. In Rome, um, they had certain armies that they called legions, right? And a legion, uh, by Rome standards, had between 5,000 and 6,000 men, okay, in a legion. So this guy, I don't know how many demons are like, inside of this guy, but uh, it's safe to say that it's a lot, right? A lot more than what you, you know, would normally want, okay, which is zero. He says, and they begged him. They begged Jesus not to banish them to the abyss, meaning um, really like prison in hell, okay? That's what the abyss is. That should sound somewhat familiar if you've been coming to church here for any amount of time because last summer we actually talked about this when we went through the book of Jude together. Ultimately, the abyss, whatever we call that, that's ultimately their final destination. That's where they're going to go someday, and that's where they're going to stay someday. And here's these guys, when they see, or these demons, when they see Jesus, right, they automatically think that he's there to put them away. And so they go begging Jesus. They say, please don't put us there yet. Please don't lock us up yet. Please give us more time. And so what do we got? We got disciples who are freaking out. It's been a long night for them. We got a tired Jesus who's getting ready to help this guy. He's just like, okay, I got to deal with these. Okay, right, I can do this. You got this crazy demon-possessed guy who's on his knees begging Jesus not to fight them, right? And, uh, and, and it's just wild, right? This is just a crazy story. And so Luke tells us that a larger herd of pigs was actually there feeding on a hillside. And uh, the demons, they get this idea and they start begging Jesus. They ask Jesus, they say, hey, please, please. Um, will you permit us, or he, they asked him to permit them to enter the pigs, and, uh, and, and he gave them permission, right? So here's these demons doing their thing, which is up, they're up to no good. Basically, they need Jesus' permission. They're asking Jesus to run away. Please, please let us go. Please let us run away from you. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus', um, just how he's dealt with people and how he commands things, right? Like he commands diseases we've seen. He commands death, which is crazy. He, this very night, he commanded the weather, and now he's commanding demons, and they all obey him. But not you. And not me. See, what's crazy is we're so casual with obeying Jesus. Have you noticed this? Like, we all are. It's just not that big of a deal to us. And a lot of us in here, we're like, ah, yeah, Jesus. I like Jesus. 
But um, when it comes to obeying him, we're like, eh, I don't really like that part so much. And we think to ourselves, we're like, well, I'll get to it someday, or uh, it's just not a good time in life for me, or, you know, it's just too much going on with work right now, so I, I'm not going to be super committed. I won't obey every little thing, or I'm just going to do it later. It's like what we want to do is we want to hold on to the Jesus card and put it in our back pocket and then whip it out whenever we need it. Like, that's how we treat Jesus. And really, it's an attitude towards him that's just casual and it's just indifferent. You know, we just want to keep him when he's convenient for us. It's like that thing. We just want to like, all right, God, I want you in my life. And so I'm just going to set you right here. You just stay right there, Jesus. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do my own thing. And then we come over here and we do our own thing and things are going pretty good. And then something goes wrong, right? Because that's what happens when we do our own thing, when we don't do life God's way. We always run into issues and we always run into problems. And then we call out to God and say, hey, God, I need you over here. Or, hey, Jesus, I want you to come over here. I want you to fix my problem. And then, which is really crazy, then we get mad at him when he doesn't fix our problem the way that we told him to fix our problem. Is that kind of crazy? That's what we do. We're indifferent to him. We de- and it's because we demand like a carefree, painless life. As if God owes us that. Jesus never, ever promised us a comfortable life. If that were the case, there would be no storm. If that was the case... They wouldn't be dealing with this demon-possessed guy right here. See, there's more important things in our life than comfort. And he uses things like the storm, and he uses things like our problems that are beyond our control to show us who he is and to help us learn to trust him. See, what's crazy is everybody wants to see miracles in their life, but nobody wants to be in a place where we need one. Interesting, right? Like everybody wants to see miracles in their life and then we get mad at God when we're in a place where we need one. See, every miracle that Jesus did here started with a problem. Every miracle that Jesus ever did, it all started with a problem. And some of us, maybe the reason why we're so casual with obeying Jesus is because our lives are too easy. We don't like to think about that. Right, maybe what you should do, maybe what's like best for you, I'm just throwing this out there, is maybe you need to go find Pastor Mike after the service and you need to ask him and to pray with you that, you that God would give you more problems in your life. You know, that might be good. If, what if you did that? Maybe with more problems, you'd be able to learn to trust him easier and faster. Maybe with more problems, you'd learn to take him seriously like the demons do. We don't obey him because ultimately we don't fear him. The demons... They fear him. And so Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs. And so the demons came out of the man. They obeyed. They did exactly what he commanded them. And they entered into the pigs. And I don't know why they did this. I don't know the reasoning. There's a bunch of scholars that have all kinds of different theories about what happened in this moment. But the whole herd of pigs, probably, there may have been five to 6,000 pigs here. Right? The whole herd of pigs, they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died. They drowned. And when the men who tended them saw what had happened, I mean, they're just like, oh, we are in big trouble. You know, like, that's not good. They ran off. I bet they did. And they reported it in the town and in the countryside. They're telling everybody, they're like, dude, that those pigs, all those pigs, they're all dead. Like, they ran out. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like this. And then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man who the demons had been in, the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet and dressed in his right 
mind. And they hadn't seen him dress for a long time. Okay, so this is like normal. This is unnormal, not normal, okay, for this guy. And uh, they see this, and they were afraid. So this kind of freaks them out. And most scholars believe that uh, they were in fear of Jesus. It wasn't like, wow, Jesus is so, pos- so, so uh, powerful. This is crazy. What they're afraid of is they see the loss of their property. And the whole herd is dead. Like, it's legit. But they don't want that happening again. And it freaks them out. And so these people, they fear their circumstances more than they fear Jesus. And in their fear of losing more stuff, they completely overlooked the guy who Jesus saved. They missed the miracle here. The guy who was isolated, who was in constant sadness, had no peace, was not even in control of his own body many times. All right, Jesus goes to that man and sets that man free. And it's, it's an incredible. I mean, think about it. It's the combination of Jesus' power and also the combination, you know, or combined with his love. But the people are filled with fear. And because of that fear... All the people of the region, they asked Jesus and the disciples to leave. Saying, hey, we don't want any part of this. You've cost us too much. We're not willing to give up what it takes for you to be here. And because they did this, because they were gripped by great fear. They're scared. Fear is running these people. And so they got into the boat to get ready to return. Now, um, Jesus, he did not stay in places where he was not wanted. But there was one person who wanted Jesus to stay around. I mean, you'd think there'd be more. You'd think there'd be like a few people, like about a few thousand people. Like you'd think there'd be like that one guy who'd be like, hey, Jesus, before you leave, like, yeah, I got this uncle. <laughs> Dude, he's got something like, I think he's crazy. All right, maybe demons, maybe, maybe. You could check this guy out, you know? Like you'd think there'd be that guy. Um, but no, they're all like, hey, Jesus, we want you to leave. Get out of here. But there was one person who wanted Jesus to stay around. The man whom the demons had departed started begging Jesus earnestly. He's like, hey, he wants to be with Jesus. So he's begging Jesus, please take me with you. I want to be a part of you. All right, I got nothing here. All right, it's been a long time. You saved me. You completely changed my life, Jesus. Let me follow you. But Jesus sent him away. That doesn't sound like Jesus. That don't sound like the Jesus we know. But that's okay. Jesus doesn't have to say yes to every little thing that we request of him. In fact, Jesus has a better job for him. He says, no, you're not coming with me, but I do want you to go back to your home and tell all, everybody, that what God has done for you. And off he went. So he gets rejected by Jesus in the sense that Jesus says no to his request. And he doesn't like, oh man, like throw a fit. He doesn't, he doesn't go crazy or anything like that. Um, Jesus says, no, I want you to do this instead. Probably a harder thing for him to do. And, uh, and he goes. Off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. And Jesus and the disciples, they get back into that boat. And they head back home. And I bet there's not much conversations happening. First of all, it's late and they're probably dead tired, all of them. But they also got a lot to think about, right? They can't stop thinking about that day. They got that storm first, and then that demon-possessed guy, and then they rejected him, and it was just all this stuff, and they're filled with awe, and they're filled with wonder, but they're also filled with fear. Not fear of their circumstances like they were when they went to this region, but fear of the man who was in the back of the boat. 
That's what they had fear of, knowing that he was so powerful that he's dangerous to have around, but also knowing that he is so good. See, the fear of Jesus leads to relationship with him. Ultimately, the fear of Jesus leads us to obedience of him. And the fear of circumstance that a lot of us, we find ourselves trapped in so often, that leads to missing out on the life that God has created you for. Fear of circumstance uh, leads to missing out on a relationship with our creator and leads to missing out on freedom, which is the whole reason why Jesus came, to set us free. Like he set this man free on this day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words and we thank you for sharing them with us or telling us exactly what had happened. And Lord, I think a lot of us, we find ourselves afraid of our circumstances, just like the disciples were in the story. Just all the things that's going on around us is just so distracting from um, actually putting our trust and our faith in you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us, especially throughout this week, as we're encountering, encountering all the problems and the issues of just everyday life, that we would trust you and we would have a healthy dose of fear of you. God, we ask that that fear of you would help lead us to obedience, something that we struggle with so often. God, we thank you for loving us and caring for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.